0: Amen. You can go ahead and find your seat, if you can find one. Hopefully you got one. Welcome, friends. I am glad that we all get to be together on Christmas Eve today. If you're a guest with us, we're especially glad that you're here with us um, know that we generally gather on Sunday mornings, although tomorrow morning we won't be gathering, but we generally gather on Sunday mornings at 9, 30, and 11. So if you're new here, if you're a guest, we'd love to see you back on New Year's Day. Also, it is good to have our children with us for a couple different reasons. Uh, One being, our kids need to see us singing to the Lord. Our kids need to see us giving to the glory of God, our kids need to see us going to the Word as well. So if your kids get unruly, start throwing stuff, punching the person next to you, um, that's okay. No big deal because children are a blessing and we're thankful that we're here um, with them today. I'm going to read for us just three verses from Luke chapter 2 in just a minute, but let's first begin with an exercise. Let's imagine for a second that you're at Walmart on the day before Christmas. Now, of course, the day before Christmas, that's today, right? So let's just imagine that, that you're at Walmart maybe earlier today. Maybe you actually went. I don't know. Um, I didn't go to Walmart. I was frankly a little bit concerned about losing my life in some type of a Walmart Christmas brawl, so I try to stay away from that. Place, praise God. But, I, but imagine, um, I imagine that's a pretty busy place, maybe even chaotic with people trying to finish their Christmas shopping and get food for dinner so they've got going on in the next couple days or whatever. But let's imagine that you are in line to pay. And let's also imagine that there are two people ahead of you in this line. So you know that at the rate that Walmart generally goes, it's going to be quite a while. So um, let's just pretend that you decide to begin looking around a little bit just looking around. You're you're in line, places packed with people, and you just begin to observe the people around you. So you look at their body language, you look at the way that they're standing, you look at the speed of pace that they're marching through the store, you uh, examine the way that they're treating the people that are working the cash registers, and you're watching all of this. And if you were to do that, do you think you would come to the conclusion that the majority of people today see Christmas as a day of great news? Do they see it as a day of celebrating one of the greatest events that has ever occurred, namely the incarnation of God? Or do they see it as a day of stress? Do they see it as a day of remorse, a day of busyness, a day of worldliness? And although surely, you know, you would see many people in that Walmart observation who are in love with Christ and who cherish the news of his birth, I bet you'd agree that something about the greatness of the news that Jesus Christ was born for us has been lost by huge swaths of society today. So, my goal this afternoon is a simple one it is to, in a very short amount of time, convince you that the story of Christ's birth is a story of great. News. It's not a story of average news. It's not a story that is not worthy of your attention, but it's a story that plays a very important role in your being saved from your sins. And it's, of course, the story that deserves our attention tonight on Christmas Eve. Now our scripture tonight comes immediately after Jesus has been born. Jared was so kind to read for us verses 1 through 8. In that account, Joseph and pregnant Mary are in Bethlehem. She goes into labor. She gives birth to Jesus Christ. You know they wrap him in swaddling clothes. They, they lay him in the manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And then in verse 9, the announcement of Jesus' birth begins with these angels appearing to the shepherds in the fields. So we're just going to kind of walk through these three verses that we're examining this afternoon. Look first at verse 9. What does verse 9 say? It says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. With great fear. Now remember that this is occurring immediately after the birth of Jesus Christ. That's the text that Jared read for us earlier. Outside of Bethlehem, there are these shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Shepherds would basically allow their sheep to kind of roam the countryside, not always having a pen to place them in to protect them from predators, so a shepherd was a job that most people didn't want. You know, an eight-year-old, when their teacher asked them what they wanted to be when they grew up, most of them would not say shepherd. You were outside a lot. You were dirty. You were exposed to the elements. You never really got to take a break from from watching your sheep. And it's to these lowly shepherds that the angel of the Lord appears to first. What does the text tell us about the angel? It says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. So this angel was probably bright and illuminated the area. And as a result, the end of the verse says that they were filled with great fear. Now let's ask the question just for a second. What do they have to be afraid of? What are they so fearful of. Well, it's one of the unfortunate ways that pop culture has changed the way we think about biblical concepts, but angels are kind of painted in society as being these nice beings with wings who kind of float around all the time, they keep you safe when you're in danger, and they're always looking out for your best interest, and this is kind of the way that TV and movies oftentimes make us think about angels and the way that they describe angels, but angels in the Bible are generally, not always, but generally showing up to kill someone. I mean, they're God's messengers, but they're also God's servants. And so often when angels appear on the scene, it's not to comfort, it's not to protect, it's not to console, but it is to kill. It is to destroy. I mean, remember the 10th plague in Egypt in the book of Exodus. Remember 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35, when the angel of the Lord kills 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in the middle of the night, most likely as they're sleeping. Depending on how exactly you read the book of Revelation, there may be a time in the future when angels of God are going to kill one-third of the population of the world. So it's possible that these shepherds were in fear of this angel because of the bright light and the fact that the glory of God shone all around them in the middle of the evening. It's also possible that they know the Bible well enough to know that oftentimes when angels show up, it's because God is pouring out his wrath on the people. But look at how this angel speaks and what he says to the shepherds. Just think about what he says. Look at verses 10 and 11 now. It says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So this text represents the first official announcement of the birth of Jesus Christ. It's noteworthy that, remember, God didn't choose to announce the birth of his perfect and only son in the temple in Jerusalem. That's not where God sent these angels. He didn't announce it in the Ivy League universities. God the Father didn't have a reception in the country club. He announced it to shepherds, to lowly men, to unappreciated men, to ordinary men, but good men nonetheless. So today, God would announce this to white-collar folks, not the elite, not the the best educated that we have, not the richest, not those that are revered in society. He would announce it to people that are like us. But the key is not so much that God announced it, and the key is not so much uh, who he announced it to, but what makes this, as the angel says, good news of great joy, is that our Savior was being born. That's what makes this Good news of great joy. And did you notice, by the way, that even in the birth of Christ, the very first announcement, the very first proclamation, this angel is already pointing them to the cross. When he calls Jesus their Savior. Because remember, the birth of Christ is not the death of Christ. It's not. Our sins were paid for not when Jesus was born, but instead when Jesus died. So Christmas and Easter are not the same thing. I wouldn't even say that they're necessarily of the same importance. But this much is clear. The reason that this is good news, no, the reason that this is is great news for us is because Christ was being born to save you. And if you feel like Christmas just hasn't had the impact this year that sometimes it has or if you feel like you just don't really look forward to this time of year altogether, or if you just don't really know why Christmas is so vital for the Christian, have you considered, have you remembered that Christ was born so that he could die? That's why he was born. So that he could atone for your sins. So that you and I could be reconciled to God. Now what I'm about to tell you, I want you to know that I can't make this up. I really can't. When I tell it to you, some of you are going to think that I'm lying to you, and I'm really not lying. This is the truth. I was told this account by a relative that I have, and they live in another part of the state, and they recently walked into a McDonald's, and in this McDonald's, right there at the counter, was a customer and the manager who were in a, uh, how shall we call it, a knockdown, drag-out argument. And you know, when you see those types of situations, it's kind of a pull because part of you says, man, I really don't want to watch this. And then the other part says, I really need to watch this. I need to see what's going on, right? So, so, so my relative, they want to know what's going on. They stick around to find out. Well, the customer was complaining about their McRib. Any McRib fans in here? Anybody want to admit that? Good for you, two of you. There are about a hundred other people that just don't want to admit it. It's okay. The McRib, the rib sandwich with no rib, it's a wonderful marketing scheme. you got to love what McDonald's has got going on there. Well, this customer had ordered a McRib, and McDonald's had made his McRib. He'd gotten it out, he'd opened it up, and everything was great until he realized that something was missing. Now, you might think, well, maybe the pickles weren't on it or maybe the onions or maybe something else. But actually, for this customer, what was missing was the bun. The bun was missing from the man's McRib. They took that rectangle-shaped meat thing. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You know what this thing looks like. They dunked it in barbecue sauce. Y'all have seen pictures. They threw a pickle on top of it. They wrapped it up like that, and they threw it in the guy's bag. That was it. So the customer is obviously a little bit upset. I mean, the manager explains, well, you know, we ran out of buns. What can I say? Which the guy replies, well, don't you think that would be a good detail to share with someone while they're ordering the food or maybe even perhaps before they have paid for the food and went down the road in their car? And, I mean, how are you even supposed to eat this thing? At which the the, the manager replies, and I love the way that they replied. This is what I would say if I was managing McDonald's. I would say, we've got plenty of napkins, so what they told him. True story. Absolutely true. This guy was missing a bun on a McRib. Pretty important thing if you're going to take your chances and eat a McRib. But many of us this time of year have missed something so much more important, have we? Something that gives us life rather than takes it away like the McRib likely does. We have missed that Christ came to save sinners, haven't we? We have missed this. Now, I know that Christmas is a stressful time of year. I know that families don't necessarily get along the best, do they? I know that for many of us, Christmas reminds us of those that we've loved that have died before us, and it intensifies our longing to see them again. I know that for some of us, let's just admit it, we're broke, aren't we? I mean all the gifts that you feel like you have to buy and all the places you have to go and the extra travel and maybe the the, the not making as much money because you have to take a couple days off of work or whatever and and maybe you're like us where a couple weeks ago we had to pay our property tax and all that kind of falls on you at the end of the year and it's all together so so financially maybe you're maybe you're just not in a good spot. Or maybe spiritually you're just kind of drained and you haven't really taken time to rest and relax and enjoy Christmas. Or maybe Christmas brings with it so much anxiety because you're rushing from church events like this back and forth to home and everything else that you just don't really look forward to it at all. So I know that Christmas can be stressful, can't it? I mean, your blood pressure's up and your bank account's down. I get it. I understand it. I agree with you. But nonetheless... Nonetheless, no matter what happens, no matter what takes place, no matter how much your family fails to get along, no matter how much your checking account suffers, Christ was born to save sinners, of whom you and I are the foremost. And there is nothing, no, there is nothing that can take that away from you. Nothing. Christ was born to pay for our sins. Now, I'll close with this. Shasta and I were freshly married. I don't remember the year, but we were still young, and it's been a long time since I was a young man. And one evening, a young woman comes knocking on our door. I open it, and she's holding a bucket of laundry detergent. Seems a little strange to me, but. To eat your own, you know, whatever. You can carry a bucket of laundry detergent if you want to. So she informs me that she's in town going door to door, handing out these completely free buckets of laundry detergent if you will allow her to come in and do a demonstration of her vacuum. Some of you have had this before. Uh, Maybe you've had this job even. So I'm like, hey, you know, you can do that. That's cool if I get that free bucket of laundry detergent. I'll let you in and I'll do this thing. So anyway, she comes in. She does her presentation with her vacuum. She pours sand all over the carpet, which I wasn't really excited about that. Did not ask our permission or anything like that. But she does her spiel, does her sales pitch that she's been trained to do. And she does it very well, I might add. Then she gets to the price. It's $1,500 for a vacuum. Which, hey, you know, I'm sure it's worth it. I don't know much about vacuums, but that was more than I paid for my first truck. You know, so I'm thinking, you're trying to sell these things on the wrong side of town, if you know what I mean. But I remember her presentation, and she would tell us about this vacuum with enthusiasm. And she had excitement in her voice, didn't she? And she seemed to even have joy in her heart as she demonstrated this awesome expensive vacuum. Now, granted, it might have been a manufactured joy. It might have been an enthusiasm that was present only because she wanted the commission that comes along with with paying $1,500 for a vacuum. I don't know. But here's what I do know. God coming to earth, no matter where he could have been born, no matter when he could have chosen to be born, no matter what exactly the details of the event look like, that event is great news Because this baby would grow in wisdom and stature and would head to the cross to die as the Lamb of God, offering the perfect sacrifice for your sins and my sins, without which we would still be hopelessly lost. We would still be absolutely unable to be reconciled to God. That is great Advent news. So I want you to leave here and I want you to cherish it. I want you to share it. I want you to rejoice over it. I want you to teach it to these beautiful children that God has given us. I want you to tell it to all that will listen to it. And in just a second, we are indeed going to sing about it. So if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes, I'll pray for us. And then we will come together and we'll stand and we'll sing once again. Heavenly Father and Lord, we're thankful, God, for all that you are and all that you do for us. We know, we know, Lord, where this beautiful, wonderful baby, we know where its life would take it. We know that it wouldn't be a life of ease, a life of comfort. It wouldn't be a life of material blessing. It would be a life of suffering. It would be a life of pain. It would be a life of rejection. But Lord, it would also be a life that would provide everything that needed to be provided so that we could be in a relationship with you. And Lord, we, as your people, are thankful for that. As we stand and as we sing together this evening, Lord, I pray that you would look down on this church. You'd look down on your people. You'd receive our song as worship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.